This episode wouldn't be possible without our sponsor, GhostLab. Synchronized cross-browser and mobile testing taken to the next level. We'll tell you more about GhostLab later in the show. This is Unfinished Business, the show that talks about the business end of web design and creative industries. This is episode 30, and today is Monday the 29th of July 2013. The show is hosted by me, Anna Debenham, and by my co-host, Andy Clark. What? He's slurping in the background, (laughs) trying to put me off. (laughs) I've got a joke for you. Go on. What do you call an exploding ape? I don't know. A (laughs) (laughs) baboom. Actually, that's pretty good. (laughs) Yay. That's actually pretty good. I like that. Where did that week go? I know, it's gone so quickly. Actually, are we going to pretend uh, that it's a week since we last recorded? We probably shouldn't, because then we might have to predict the future. Mm, that's true. Something calamitous could have happened. And we won't and, know. And we won't know anything about it. That's a big word. Calamitous. Yeah, I should put that into conversation more often. <laughs> mm. Yeah, no, we're recording this on a Monday for a change. So our listeners know. Because I won't be here on a Friday. On Friday, I shall be somewhere down in the mid part of France. Probably nice. heading towards Limoges. Eating ice cream? Well, I shall be bloody well getting an ice cream on the way, I think. Because the last time we drove down there, God, it was red hot. It was like 40 degrees Whoa. in the middle of France. And we turned up at this motorway service station somewhere in the middle of France. And... Man, it was just completely stacked out with dehydrated English people. <laughs> it's quite funny. There was not water. There was not an ice cream. Literally anything that could cool you down oh, no. or be deemed refreshing had completely gone. Um, and uh, the queues for the toilets were immense as well. But it was there were there were lots of very hot red English people, um, either on their way to or one they they were from. The Channel Tunnel. So that was quite funny. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm on holiday Me speaking too. to you from the past. <laughs> uh, just to say, I apologise in advance for any banging and crashing that's going on in the background. It's stopped now. You might hear it later on. <laughs> We've got Neil, our decorator. That sounds very grand, doesn't it? We have a chap that comes in and does stuff, Neil, and he's working on the living room. Oh. So he's moving wiring around and doing all of that nasty preparation work yeah chasing in cables because we've got ah do you know if if you've got one of those home cinema systems with speakers and stuff that go around the room yeah with all the wires yeah all of that so what he's doing is he's chasing in all the wires because he has to replast the part of the room anyway so he's basically just knocking seven bells out of the walls and sinking in all these cables nice so that's been done. We've had a new front door fitted and then we're going to go away and we're going to leave him with the keys, <laughs> which that's good. He's good. He's trustworthy. And then we'll come back and it's all done. Nice. So that'd be really good. Do you do DIY? If I could, I would. I I like assembling Ikea furniture. I did some today. I was kind of disassembling it, but it felt good. Is there an Ikea in Brighton? No, I wish. Where'd you have to go to get Ikea? London. What, up Brent Cross or whatever it is? No, there must be one at Blue Water. Uh, yeah, there's one at Blue Water, I think. 
Oh, no, I, I I just get it all online. I don't do DIY. Why not? I do NDI. Neil does it. <laughs> it's true. DIY you know is really fun. Yeah, I know. And I used to like painting. I did used to like a bit of painting, but I haven't done any for ages. It's been... It sounds very... Um, yeah, kind of glamorous. It's like, oh, you've got your decorator around painting the front room. But it's been 12 years since we've decorated that front room. I can't wait to own my own place and then just be able to do things like paint walls and put up furniture. And mm. No, it's going to be nice. It's going to be nice. And we're doing it. So we're taking out all the central lights and we're having everything so that when you flick one switch, when you walk in the door, um, all the little lights around the room, the little table lamps and the, and the, uh, the kind of standard lamps, all of those will come on from one switch. Nice. So, yes, that's our decorating that's going on. So if you hear a bang and a crash, sorry about that. I've got building works next door, so you might be able to hear that. Are you losing your view? Did I see something about... Yeah. What is this? There's a big kind of tower block going up, and um, I've got a little slither between two buildings where I can see the sea. Um, But I'm going to lose that this week because they're going to build another floor, and then that's it. I'm not going to be able to see it anymore. That's a bugger. Is it an apartment block they're building? Yeah. You could get a flat in that. No, no, I'm moving to London soon. What? Really? Yeah. yeah. I never knew that. Yeah, I think in November. Oh, wow. (laughs) Oh. Oh, well, I might be able to see you when I come down and work with uh, my friend Mark. Yeah, that'd be cool. Crazy newspapers. It's just stupid having to commute every day. You know, all the work that I do is in London now and... Barely get to spend any time in Brighton. Well, there's a there's a bombshell <laughs> exclusive. You heard it here first. <laughs> oh wow, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Whereabouts? Do you know? I haven't decided yet. Still looking around. Somewhere crazy and hipster like Shoreditch. Uh, I don't think so. You're not crazy and hipster. Just looking somewhere like on the Central Line. Right. Oh, cool. <laughs> cool. So I suppose we need to crack on with our, our stuff today. Oh, I should, did, did one mention. Uh, talking about not doing stuff, like DIY. Today, we moved our final client site off our Media Temple service. Nice. So we officially, that stuff now, no longer do web hosting. Oh, it's such a relief. It makes so much sense. I really wish I'd not sort of handled hosting when I started out and now I'm kind of I feel like I'm stuck with with client sites that every year I have to send them a bill (laughs) sorry I'm talking about sneeze (laughs) that was a really pathetic sneeze (laughs) I can't help it it's how I sneeze how else are you supposed to sneeze Yeah, well, I remember we used to have a, like an Excel spreadsheet of all the things we used to invoice every month. We would invoice like 10 a month. I think we had like 120 plus websites at one point that wow. we looked after. And we've got none now, apart from our own. And that's where I'm going to keep it. I mean, people say it's a good passive income. Um, but where do you find the time to do all of that? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to spend time managing hosting when I could be spending that time building stuff you know it's not it's not what I enjoy doing it's not what I want to do so I'd rather 
you know, have that, have someone else handle that. Yeah. I don't want to do any of that support stuff. Cause you know, when you host it often includes email woes as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I don't want to do that, but it's not really about that. It's about the fact that what it's worth now, um, you know, the 20 or 30 quid a year profit that you might earn from one client. Yeah. It's not worth the responsibility. And it's not worth the, the admin, you know, creating those invoices. Even no. if it's automatic, it's still kind of, yeah. No. So we are now officially a no hosting thing. So what we're going to do is we're just going to recommend two or three different hosting companies to people and they can set up their own accounts and, you know, be responsible. Because it's not hard, is it? Well, can be if it goes wrong. Yeah, but I mean, you know, once they've set the web, most of the clients that we have, once they've set the website up, it, you know, it doesn't need oil in. <laughs> um, and we don't run anything off WordPress, so I doubt that, you know, things need upgrading very, you know, as often. So, I don't know. It just seems to be right for us. It seems to be about the right time that we just really focus on what we want to do and what we're good at. Yeah. So that's good. So we've got some follow-up from last episode. Because obviously we've been talking about contracts. Anybody that's joining us now, first time listeners, you need to go back a couple, right? And listen to a couple, couple before. Um, I had a bit of a Twitter conversation with a nice lady, Zoe Rooney, who's a, a developer out in Philadelphia. I thought that was just cheese. Bruce Springsteen. Um, and we were talking about contract killer because she based her contract uh, on a variation of the contract killer. Mm-hmm. And she had it checked by a lawyer as well, um, which is something that, <laughs> something that actually I haven't done for us. <laughs> um, and I asked her how her lawyer had reacted. Cause I thought, I had this sort of stereotype in my head that lawyers would be the ones that wanted to write like 20 pages of legal stuff. Yeah. Um, Just to cover the back. <laughs> exactly. Um, so anyway, she said to her, she said, uh, my lawyer liked how friendly it is and was able to keep a lot more of the readable language in the revised version. So actually that was pretty good. He didn't kind of depersonalize it. Yeah. That was pretty good. And the other thing that Zoe's done, which I think is a really, really good idea is she's put a sample, uh, version of that contract on her website to read as well. Cool. Just have a look at that now. Yeah. So we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, but I think that's a really good idea, you know, putting your sample documents out on the web. Yeah. Um, on the website for clients to, to read. Just browsing through it. It's really nice uh, typeset. Well, you know, that's another way that you can kind of, you know, show Make off your personality, friendly. isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, why should your contract be, you know, have no margins and be set in like nine point aerial? Yeah. You know, you should just make it as part of the, the experience as possible. So. You've done something with Contract Killer and Oaks this week. Yeah, so I put up my contract. I quite like that you did it as a, as a guest. So um, I've done that too. Just forked your version. Um, and yeah, um, I'll put a link in the show notes to that. It's It uses, um, it's it's the same sort of clauses as you, but I've changed the language a bit so that it sounds more like me because uh, I'm not as uh, not as funny as you. Well, according to Harry Roberts, you are. <laughs> I think he uh, he said no comment on that. <laughs> yeah, I know, but you know what he meant. Yeah. <laughs> he just didn't want to offend me, the lad. He's very sweet, really. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, no, I could tell he meant that you were funnier than me, which is which is fine. We all know. 
<laughs> that joke telling is not my forte. You're funny, song. but in a in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> what, in an unfunny way? Yeah, excellent. <laughs> so what did you change then, apart from the language? Was there anything specific? Well, I, I did write this two or three years ago. Um, so I can't remember what I changed based on yours, but it was mainly just the language. I took some bits out that weren't relevant to me. Like you talk a lot about, um, designing and iterations and things. And that doesn't really, that's sort of not a concern to me, um, being a developer. So yeah, that just, just little things like that. Well, I noticed one change that, or a few changes actually that Zoe had made, um, which was interesting. And I've just, I've just kind of made a note. Um, go check them out. But what does she say here? In the event that you miss one or more of the deadlines that we've agreed upon or are late in supplying us materials or with approvals or don't pay us within the time frames we've agreed upon, you agree you won't hold us responsible for or liable for a missed launch date or deadline or delayed delivery of your site. I thought, okay, that's pretty, pretty specific. Yeah. Essentially, she's basically saying, no, you know, it's your responsibility as much as ours. And if, you know, if you don't do your side, then, you know, you're not going to hold us responsible for, you know, a missed deadline. I think that's, um, it's similar to what you've got, but it's kind of more strongly worded, like mm. really making it clear. It's not, it's not our responsibility if, um, you know, if you don't hold up your side of the bargain. I think we'll talk about this later on as well, because I would say that some of those things there, you know, being late repeatedly, Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's materials or approvals or it's, you know, something that's going to derail the, the project could be a fireable offence, as Mike Montero might say. Right. Uh, fireable is in fire the client. Yeah, exactly. Which is where the whole kind of termination thing comes in. And that's, I don't know, we'll, we'll talk about Mike and his talk and his contracts later on, but you could go even stronger, um, and say, you know, and if you miss two out of three or something, then, you know, like then, three strikes then, and you're out. Three strikes and you're out, <laughs> then the contract's up. Mm. So I thought that was interesting. And I did put a call out, actually, to, um, and we'll publish some links in the show notes to different variations of the you – know, different ways that people have changed the contract. Um, I mean, sometimes they put in uh, differences like yours, you know, because you don't want the design stuff in there because you're developing. Um, so there's differences in what we do. But – there's also people that take slightly different approaches or they'll include different clauses. Right. And and that's really fascinating because there's loads of stuff, again, at the end, loads of stuff that I'm realising now that, you know, maybe should be in the standard version. Right. I do find it, I, I think it's a bit harsh to have like that kind of three strikes and you're out thing. I think if they miss deadlines, as long as they accept that you're not necessarily going to be able to stay on to, to finish the work, you know, if you've got something else lined up afterwards then that's just how it is. But to say I'm not working with you anymore because you missed a couple of deadlines, I think that could be, I don't know. I it just, sounds a bit sounds a bit hard, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, as much as I want things kind of nailed down, you know, we've also got to be flexible. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm fiddling with a website now, unpaid, um, that, you know, that we finished a few weeks ago and the clients, you know, the clients paid up. You know, mm. we, we don't, you know, they don't owe us a penny, but there's a few little niggles here and there. They're emailing, you know, I'm doing, you've got to be flexible. Yeah. Um, some of the stuff that I'm fixing now happens to come into the testing arena, which is the next bit of the contract. Right. Um, cause there's a few things that, ah, they've looked at it in a certain, you know, certain phone, 
and the menu doesn't behave in the way that you know that it does on an iphone so we're just kind of going back and fixing that um so yeah testing's the next bit in the contract um oh tell you what you had a question i think though about um when we give a contract if you're working for an agency yeah so if you're working like as a as a developer, if you're working for an agency for another client, um, do you, um, like, should you provide them a contract per project or do you create just one contract that covers any projects that could come up? You know, say they want you to work on one project and then a couple of weeks later you, you finish that project and they're, oh, can, can you just do a bit of work on this one as well? I'm just wondering, like, how do you, as, uh, as someone who works with other people, as someone who, brings other people in what do you do about contracts then do you have one just for that project or do you have one that encompasses any possible project um if we're talking about subcontractors then we will have a blanket nda which basically says you can't talk about anything yeah and we have individual contracts for certain projects now when it comes to uh, the contracts that we give out for, for example, WIPO. Right. Um, we're just negotiating at the, at the moment for another couple of weeks, sort of September, October time. Um, and that's a different project. You know, it's more of a design review rather than a design creation because it's, it's essentially, um, we've done a whole ton of work. We've set a lot of standards. We've written a lot of default code, you know, basic styles. Right. And they're now throwing in lots and lots and lots of contra- content into the CMS. And, you know, we're having a couple of weeks, so we're going to go back through and make sure that all of that stuff looks brilliant. Mm. Um, so that's a separate job. Um, so that's a separate contract. And I would say try to do as many separate contracts as you can. Yeah, I think that makes sense because then you can really tailor them to that specific project. I'm just thinking, would it restrict you or... Um, if you were working on a lot of projects for an agency, it would be kind of time consuming to have to create a different contract for each project. I'm just yeah. wondering if, if there's a better way of doing it, if you could create sort of a one that encompasses them all and maybe just have like mini contracts for each project, something like that. I think that for an organization like WIPO, I am less in danger of being let down or things changing or, you know, the rug being pulled. Now, your question was about if you're working for an agency, and I know lots of freelancers do that. You know, they work for an agency yeah. uh, as opposed to for the client direct. And, you know, we, we talked about this before, but Laura has her, Laura Kalbag has her no agencies rule. Yeah. Because if you put somebody between you or your client, whether it's, you know, an agency team or an account handler or a salesman or something like that, the, chances of something going pear-shaped multiply dramatically. So that's why I think that if you're working for an agency, you have to have, uh, you should have a contract for every single project separate because there's no telling what their client is going to do to you. Mm -hmm. There's no telling what is going on in conversations that you're not a party to. And all of a sudden the agency comes to you and goes, well, we've had a chat with a client and the search facility is going to change again. Yeah. And you're going, well, that's going to be two days out of, you know, an extra two days worth of work um, that, you know, that we haven't accounted for. 
Um, and I don't think you can ever account for that kind of eventuality in one big contract. So I think with agencies, man, no, you should like nail them. Something Everyone. that, um, I've done as, as a subcontractor, um, I've worked on a project before where the, the person that I was working for, not the client, uh, but the person I was working for told me, Oh, the client hasn't paid yet. So until they've paid, I can't pay you. And that's something oh. that I, I want to put in like an agency contract is, you know, you, you basically will pay me no matter what, even if the client hasn't paid you, because that's not my problem. Do not get me started on people that do that because I mean, I mean, we're going to digress a little bit and I'm going to get angry, but I've, <laughs> no, seriously, I've heard way, like way, way. I've heard too many times that feeble excuse, uh, you know, you have to wait until the client pays us. Now, if you're a business or if you're an individual, well, if you're a business, right, then you should make sure that you have enough money in the bank in terms of cash flow to pay all your suppliers, particularly freelancers at any time. You know, that's just, that's just good business. If you're cutting it to the wire so much that you have to wait until the client pays you before you're hiring freelancers, well, you got to, you're on very rocky ground. Mm. You are on very rocky ground. So that's why it's important that you have this, you know, this cash flow buffer because, you know, at any one moment, I want to make sure I can pay all my debts and not have to get money in. Yeah. But a lot the, of people don't work that way. Well, yeah. Do you know what? And I would not work with an agency. Um, if I was a freelancer, I would not work with an agency that couldn't afford to pay me the moment I invoiced. No. Um, I just wouldn't do it. In fact, you know, I'd want to make sure the money was there before I even started the job, which I know is difficult to do. If you're working for, um, you know, and if, if you're a company, right, and all of a sudden, you know, you get to the end of the job and instead of waiting for the client to pay you, if you need to pay your suppliers, if you need to pay your freelancers, get a bank loan, you know, go to the bank. And say, you know, we need this money. You're a business. Work on your overdraft. Jesus. They're not going to work for you again if, if you treat them like that as well. No. And if you're an individual, and again, I've heard this way too many times where people try to get rich quick off the back of, um, you know, other people. You know, if I, if I'm a freelancer or a small business, I hire you, Anna, um, and you know, you do the work for me. You know, if you can't afford to pay the people that you're, that you've hired, well, sell your car. Or default on your mortgage or, you know, I don't know, sell your prized ape collection or whatever it is. Because if you let that one person down, then you just let the whole industry down. So <laughs> people that do that, really hate people that do that. There's is nothing there worse. anything that as a freelancer that you can do if you are going to work with agencies um, to protect yourself from that happening? Is there anything you can write in the contract? I'm thinking like um, like payment fees. Uh, I don't ever do late payment fees. Do you have it uh, in your contract? Uh, I do not think we do. Uh, Something we that, that I put in mind is, um, that I can charge base rate of interest, um, if a contract goes unpaid. Because otherwise there's no incentive really for them to pay on time. Mm. But if it gets more and more expensive, um, then they're likely to want to pay that. Well, we are really digressing, but if, if you're an agent, if you're a freelancer, let's, you know, you, and there's an agency in Brighton that wants to hire you for, I don't know, 10 days, for example, um, would you charge those people a deposit or payment upfront? 
it really depends on the agency. Um, what I'd, dictating the rules? Well, no, like because I, I very, I feel very like funny about working with agencies in the first place. So to work for an agency, it would have to be exceptional. Like I'd have to really, really like them. Mm. So yeah, it's something that I'd probably bring up, but I might take that risk. I don't think that there's any difference between working for an agency and working for the client direct. And one of the, and it's all about commitment. You know, the, the money that you, that you charge up as a deposit is obviously so you can go to Tesco's, right? And feed <laughs> your kids. Um, but it's also, it it's shows kind of commitment. Yeah. yeah. It shows commitment, right? And if, you know, if I was dealing with agencies, I'd want to, I'd still want to be paid a week in advance in the same way that I'm paid a week in advance when it's the client, you know, when it's the end client. And I'd, you know, I'd be interested to find out listeners, freelancers, um, what, what you do, you know, whether you do all the work and then invoice, because, you know, that seems crazy because you've got no leverage whatsoever. You get to the end of the job. I'm assuming that you've handed over all the files and the stuff that you're working on. What, what hell kind of leverage have you got? I think it's always a case of how much are you willing, are you prepared to lose? You know, if it's a week, are you prepared to lose a week's work? Is that a, a week's kind of wages? Is that going to be a problem? Um, if you leave it 30 days before in, uh, before invoicing, obviously that's going to be an even bigger risk. Um, if you are going to put yourself at risk, basically make sure that you're happy losing that money if it goes wrong. Mm. So I'd be prepared to work for a week um, and not get paid for it at the end. You would? I wouldn't do that for a day. No? No. no. I think, uh, I don't know, I think if... If I believed at the time that it was the right thing to do, um, I'd be prepared to do it, but it wouldn't be more than a week. I wouldn't I don't th- want to expose myself that much. I don't think it's too much to ask. If you're working for an agency over a long period of time, you know, whether it's a week or two weeks or something like that, to say at least, you know, half the time up front, you know, pay me half the time, you know, in advance if it's less than a week or, you know, maybe if it's a week. Um, I wonder if that's normal with people working for agencies to do that. I'd be interested if anyone has kind of done that um, to let us know that if they've worked for an agency um, as a freelancer, do they ask for a deposit or anything up front? Is it normal? Or if you run an agency, is that something you'd be prepared to do or something that anyone has asked you to do? I think there should be some kind of standards. There should be some code of ethics or code of conduct or something like that. Um, which says, you know, this is how, maybe we should, maybe stuff, maybe we'll write one. You know, this is, this is how we, how we work with people. You know, this yeah. is how we pay. I think it's definitely a good idea because I know how difficult it can be to find freelancers. And if you treat them well, then they're going to want to work for you again. So it's in, it's in the agency's interest to treat their freelancers well. Hmm. I know we, 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 as I said, we've been moving all these websites across to, you know, client servers and we've been basically subcontracting that moving work out to a, a developer. Um, and it takes him a few hours to do it. He invoices us. He's paid. Literally, it takes us, it takes him less time to get paid than just to do the work <laughs> because we pay like that. We pay within the hour. Yeah. And that's how everybody should work. Sorry, it's a bit of a tangent, but. No, no, it's important. And it lets me rant, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> I like you ranting. Um, 
So anyway, let's get back to testing for a minute, because this is the next part of the, the thing that I put in the contract. And again, not everybody's going to need to do this. Um, but I think it's important to get people to agree, get clients to agree on some technicalities, even if they don't fully necessarily understand what that is. And that sounds terrible, but, um, you know, I've put in the contract here. We deliver templates developed from HTML5 markup. CSS 2.1 plus 3 style sheets for styling and unobtrusive JavaScript for feature detection, polyfills, and behaviors. Now, I'll tell you what, I bet there's like 90% of my clients don't understand what that is. I find it strange that you write HTML5 markup and CSS 2.1 plus 3 because, I don't know, I just think the version numbers on on HTML and CSS don't think they're necessary do you know i don't know whether that whole paragraph is necessary looking at it because i think it's the bit underneath that actually um because i think it's it's important to say we delivered templates delivered using html and css but whether the virgin numbers are like what what value do you get from mentioning that um i don't know if there's any this is the first time i've really questioned it to be honest I think what I was trying to do is I was trying to set the scene in saying we're pushing technologies, you know, we're using the latest stuff. Yeah, I just think that could be worded better because HTML5 seems to be like a bit of a buzzword and it's not clear, like HTML is part of HTML5. So is that like saying you're only going to use HTML5, you're not going to use any of the kind of other things? Yeah, do you know what? I think I'm going to take part of that out because it's, the reason it's in there is to sort of lead into the fact that um, it's about browser testing and about making yeah. things, you know, do things need to look the same in every browser? Because, you know, this is something that we've obviously had to deal with for a very, very long time. Uh, the fact that, you know, a client might not necessarily know what HTML5 and CSS3 is, but they'll know if it doesn't look the same in Internet Explorer and Safari. What I was trying to do in this little section here, which is basically to say websites aren't going to look the same in every browser. In fact, what I say is um, browser testing no longer means attempting to make a website look the same in browsers of different capabilities or on devices with different screen sizes. You know, the whole responsive thing. Yeah. It does mean ensuring that a person's experience of a design should be appropriate to the capability of a browser or device. That's the bit that I I'm like, interested in. I like that bit. Yeah, I think you know the first paragraph can probably come out to be honest. Yeah. I don't I don't know what that's doing in there. Huh. And then I'd break it down into the browsers that we do for desktop and mobile. Mm-hmm. So at the moment it says that we work to the current versions of major desktop browsers. Yep. So basically Safari, Chrome, there's no you know, no problem with either of those. If you put no. the version numbers in, it would date so quickly. Don't want to do that. Don't want to do that. Did originally. Took them out, though. Yeah, I mean, that was when they were updated every year or two. Um, what else now? Microsoft. Now, this is a tricky one because I'd really like to say that the latest version of Internet Explorer. Yeah, but me too. There's like eight people that use IE 10 on Windows 8 <laughs> outside of Redmond. So I don't think that it's fair, really, to say that the latest version of Microsoft Internet Explorer is is 10. I think probably 9 is where... I might have to reword this bit. 
Um, because I think nine is pretty much the benchmark. Mm. I wouldn't want to go any lower than that though. Cause eight was awful. <laughs> well, not awful. It wasn't, wasn't as good as nine. Um, Firefox isn't a problem. Opera is not a problem, particularly now it's running on Blink or will do. So basically all the modern browsers are taken care of. And, you know, even if we talk about IE9, I rarely actually have to write override styles for IE9 anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a bloody good browser. So then we get into the whole legacy thing. And, you know, I say that we test to make sure that IE8 for Windows gets an appropriate, possibly different experience. Because, you know, I bet there's a metric ton of people out there that still use IE8. Yeah, it's going back to what you said about... um a person's experience with a design should be appropriate to the capabilities of a browser or device. And this is something that's quite difficult to explain to clients. It's getting easier because obviously, you know, mobile and iPads and everything else, um, people don't necessarily expect it to look the same as they used to. You know, they used to call it, well, there's no rounded corners in IE. Um, you know, that used to be a big issue today. That hardly ever comes up. Mm. Um, but what you do have to do, and particularly in this contract, is to say, listen, you know, this, this is our policy, if you like. This is our policy for browser testing. Um, and then I'll just basically go, we'll implement a single column for IE. So, you know, as long as the content's, IE7 anyway, as, um, as long as the content's accessible, then screw the layout. Yeah. It's basically, and that, it, that used to be IE6. And I'm guessing that's kind of like a baseline part of the contract if the client came back to you and said well actually it's got to look you know similar in i7 what, what would you say well this is the thing right you would do everything within your power to make it look great in i7 for example we've got one lovely lovely little client who actually actually they owe me a ride in a tractor because <laughs> um part of the deal for doing their website was that they were going to let me drive a tractor wow well, I know what well, is. Is that is that in the contract? Um, no, but it's in an email somewhere. <laughs> so yeah, they were going to let me drive a tractor. Anyway, I need to get back to them. Anyway, they deal with Welsh farmers, who you know are not known for probably upgrading their browsers. So we check the stats, and a good deal of them were running old versions of IE. Yeah. So we didn't need to spend that a lot, that much time. We spent you know two or three hours, I suppose writing some remedial styles for IE7. And actually, in that particular case, I didn't bother charging them. Did that kind of influence the design at all? Is that something you looked at before you started designing? No. No, no. We 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 cut things out that weren't possible. Yeah. You know, we cut I just think backwards. it would have been kind of nice to do that, to say, well, this is what the audience is going to be using, and then kind of basing the design around that, About especially if you're on a tight budget, is saying, well you know, this is going to be kind of quick to, to develop and just kind of, yeah, looking at the stats and just seeing what people are going to be using. Yeah, it's what they're using today, not what they're going to be using necessarily tomorrow. Yeah, I guess that's quite a developer answer. But <laughs> And, you know, I've written two books, which is basically about designing the best experience for the best browsers, mm. not working from the lowest common denominator. Yeah. So, you know, I, I didn't just write in the book. We actually do that. Um, so yeah, so basically I do say at the end of this contract clause here, you know, if you need an enhanced design for an older browser, we'll provide a separate estimate. And, you know, I think we've done it once 
for you know a few hundred quid it wasn't it wasn't expensive i think it's definitely good as even just a discussion piece at the start because often you can be halfway through a project and the client will say oh i i need this to be perfect in ie6 and if you haven't kind of budgeted for that um that can be problematic so mm. to have something in there at start to say well this is what we do as a baseline um that can be really useful yeah and you know you do not want somebody coming back to you two days before launch and going you know my brother-in-law's looked at it <laughs> <laughs> on his dell in netscape something you know opera whatever the you know three you, you know you don't want that <laughs> it's the last thing that you want because then you've got to do the whole explaining thing yeah your brother-in-law's an idiot um, <laughs> that's not how that. it works um, <laughs> in my world it gets worse it gets a lot worse with mobile particularly the whole brother-in-law thing mm -hmm. um, which is why i've been quite specific about what devices or browsers we test on for for, for mobile yeah because i know that you know potentially i could go to a a testing lab you know like an open device lab yeah and and do lots and lots and lots of testing but you know most of the time people you know don't have the budget or the time for that so there's like a baseline set of things that you know we own devices that we own and browsers that we can get our hands on mm. and those are the things that we just test in without you know without mentioning it so you know anything that you can put on iOS uh the latest version of Android um and you know there'll be Chrome and Firefox and Opera mini um some older crappier android because there's a lot of that around mm. um and that's it actually and the thing i'd say and i need to update this actually is that um you know we don't currently test on blackberry os because yeah, i don't want to buy a blackberry <laughs> do you want to buy a blackberry i think again that depends on the project if you're working on a project that a lot of people do use that device um and i'm not talking about the client i'm talking about like actual users um, then that might be something that you have to look at. It, re it really is project dependent. And that's kind of, I, I mean, I read this and I kind of felt a bit funny about putting it in my own, con um, in my own contract because just naming those devices, I don't know. I, it's kind of like with Android, um, it's different for every device. It's, it's not the same experience. And I know. I just feel funny about that. And as well, it, it's kind of saying, it's almost like saying we're not going to test in on any other devices. Um, you know, things like TVs or, um, tablets, that sort of thing. I don't know. I, I don't know what the best way of doing this is, but I'm not, I'm not sure this is like the best way that you can do it. I'm trying to just get to the, the sort of the nugget of it, which is we don't test on everything. Unless, you know, yeah. you want us to test on everything, at which point that's something different. But also you want to say that you do test on a range of things. Yeah. And I can remember back in the day, people would, um, you know, with, with Internet Explorer, you know, you had IE4 and then you had IE5 and then you had IE5.5. Do you remember this? No. <laughs> right. Okay. So, yeah, there was Internet Explorer 5.5 and... It was way, way, way better than Internet Explorer 5, believe it or not. And, you know, the point was, was that 
if you upgraded your PC to IE 5.5, you couldn't test in five. You know, because it was like one version overrode the other. Yeah. You couldn't run two versions at the same time. This was before the whole multi-IE thing, right? So, you know, chances are you'd do something and it'd look great in 5.5 and then, you know, you'd bloody well get somebody on the phone going, I've tested it in IE5 and you go, just upgrade. Oh, man, it's a nightmare. And I just didn't want to repeat that with mobile. Yeah. And, you know, I'd love to be able to test on everything. But, you know, most of the time you just don't get chance. I'm just thinking back to, like, because I've got access to the Clearleft test lab and they've got dozens of devices. But I couldn't, even if I wanted to, test on every single one of them. Um, and also, like, the the browsers they've got, you know, they change. Um, I, I don't have any control over what they are. Um, so I could list out their entire device lab, but I probably wouldn't actually test on all those devices because there's just so many of them. It's kind of, you know, if I were going to pick a few to, to put in the contract, which ones would they be? And also if the contract, you know, if you're working somewhere for six months, there might be a new device that comes out, a new Apple device or something. And, you know, because it's not in the contract, you might be like, oh, I don't need to test in it. Yeah, I mean, I need to do something with Windows Phone as well, or, or Windows 8. You know, I need to either buy a Surface tablet or a, a, a Windows Phone or something. But, I mean, the most important thing, I don't know how other people handle it, but I just want to kind of make it clear what we'll test on by default. Yeah. Um, and anything else outside of that is, you know, a different issue. Yeah. I want to hear what other people do about that, because it's not, it's something that's quite new, I think. Mm. Well, that dovetails really nicely, as if we planned it, <laughs> into our into our sponsor for this week. And it's my turn to read, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, because I use this every day. I'm not just sort of reading this stuff out because, you know, they pay us a little to, to sponsor the show, which we're really pleased with. But, you know, I do use Ghost Lab as our sponsor every every day. It's just ace. If you're a responsive web designer or developer, Ghost Lab is synchronized cross-browser and mobile testing taken to the next level. So this is the problem that I have a lot. I'm designing or developing a site and I need to test it across multiple browsers and usually uh, lots of different devices, smartphones, tablets. You know, I've, I've got a few that I kind of keep stacked up on my desk. Now, what I could do is I could set up a little local development environment or I could FTP files up to you know, Media Temple server, but I don't want to do that. Then there's the keeping every device in sync while I'm testing. You know, clicking on links, moving around a site, filling in forms, um, maybe doing this to uh, demonstrate a design to a client at the same time. I've done this before with, with the game consoles. It's oh, it's so It's so annoying having to type everything in, so mm. it's nice to have... Yeah, Ghost Lab is Ghost Lab is excellent for this. So what Ghost Lab does is it synchronizes everything across these different browsers and devices. So as you do something in one browser or on one device, it happens across all the others just instantly. If you click on a link in the desktop browser, then it gets pressed on the smartphone. Spooky. I know. Freaks <laughs> people out, but it's so cool. If you type into a form on a tablet, then it 
what you type gets filled in across every browser and device that's connected to GhostLab. So here's how it works, right? You just install the GhostLab app on your Mac, and then you drag any HTML site into that GhostLab window, and that's it. GhostLab does everything else for you. From there, you open up your site in any installed browser, or you just point any device on the same network to the GhostLab IP address. And the good part is that with GhostLab, there's not an app that you have to install on your devices. It just uses the browser. Now, that's really, really cool. You know, all these kind of millions of strange, flaky devices. Strange, yeah, you can't rely browsers. on installing an app on every single one. No, no, exactly. So, you know, this is really good for GhostLab. What GhostLab does, it keeps a watch on your project, and then it pushes any changes that you make to a connected browser or device. So if you're like me and you design in a bit of code, you know, you, you, you write some CSS, check it, write a bit more CSS, check it, you know, really kind of incrementally change margins and paddings and widths and stuff like that. It just makes that so simple. You know, I've been using Ghost Lab since, well, since it came out and I just can't go back now. And the other thing is, Ghost Lab's not a subscription service, so you don't have to pay monthly for the software. I love that. You just buy it, which one off. So Ghost Lab costs £33 per user, and you can install it on two computers. That's what I've done. And there are volume discounts available for Teams too. So go to Vanamco, that's V-A-N-A-M-C-O dot com slash Ghost Lab, and get Ghost Lab. And if you use the offer code Unfinished Business, you'll get 30% off at the checkout. I've got a project coming up um, where this is going to be so useful. I can't oh, wait to brilliant. try it out. Yeah, that's brilliant. Really, really, really brilliant. So let's get back to the contract killer. I'm conscious of the time. There's a few other bits of clarification that I like to do inside the contract um, that I think just make it clear to the client that they have certain responsibilities as well. Yeah. Um, I know we talked about a lot this last week. One of the things that I do is I want them to guarantee by signing the contract that anything that they give us for the job, they either own or they've got permission to use it. Yeah, that's really important. You don't want some stock library coming, like chasing you, saying, you know, this has been used without credit. or No, or fonts. This is the latest thing. You know, fonts where they've just gone up to a, you know, a font service and converted a you know, a, a licensed font to a web font. And then uh, we, you know, we have clients give us typefaces all the time. Maybe they shouldn't, but you know, that's, you don't want that. You want to make sure that you're covered mm. on that with, with anything. And that's, you know, text images. Um, you know, we've, we've all had copy written off, uh, ripped off. Yeah. I, I had a client who was trying to use copy that they just got from somewhere else. And I was telling them, you, you can't do this. And if you do do it, then. I'm not touching it. <laughs> we had one client who had ripped off another client's copy. Oh. Independently. They didn't know that they you know we worked with both of them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, another bit about what they need to do, um, which I think is important, because this is where we get leverage, right? When your final payment is cleared, then we'll assign copyright to the work. 
Yeah, that's something that, um, have you seen, um, we got an email from Alex Foray and he sent us a link to Mike Montero's, uh, fuck you, pay me. Have you seen that presentation? I watched it again this afternoon with Alex. Oh, it's actually. so great. It is really good. Um, but he mentions, uh, the importance of, of saying, you know, once, only once full payment has been made, can you have any sort of IP? Yeah, definitely. And then what I do is I break it down a little bit further from that. And I say that, look, you own all the visual elements. So if we, you know, if we made a logo, we do a lot of branding work now because Sue Designer is brilliant at, you know, at branding, just, just such nice stuff. Um, you know, we're going to give them complete, you know, freedom to do whatever they want with that. And we'll give them all the formats. We'll give them all the illustrator files as well. We won't just kind of hold on to the, you know, the, the, the AI files. Yeah. Yeah. So they have to come back to us. That'd be stupid. We just give them everything. Um, so we say anything that we make for you, um, asset wise, um, is yours and we'll give you all the source files and the finished files and you need to keep them somewhere safe. Um, because you know, we're not responsible for keeping a backup. Does that include things like rock hammer? Would you say that that's theirs? Uh, no, I wouldn't, I'd say that the, the, well, we'll come on to the combination of elements in a minute, okay. but I'd, I'd say, yeah, certainly a style sheet or an HTML file, because it's all just the bits, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, they own that. I don't, th- I don't want to keep hold of that. That's not, a, that's not what it's about. Um, but most importantly, I say that they have to keep a copy. Yeah. Um, and keep things backed up because... You know, with the best will in the world, you know, the hard drives go down. And, you know, I, I've got backups on my little raid here of every project we've ever done since 1997. Mm. But, you know, maybe, you know, maybe one day I won't have all of that stuff. And, you know, if you, if you come knocking for a file, then, you know, what am I going to do? Things like passwords as well. I have clients contact me saying, oh, I've forgotten the password for my CMS or something like that. It's like, that's kind of why I put in that clause is, you know, you need to take responsibility for keeping a record of this stuff. Mm. Um, because at some point down the line, I'm not going to have that data anymore. We had a client and we don't work with them anymore, but we had a client that I'm, sh- I'm sure he didn't even try to remember his password. I think every time he tried to log into the CMS, he just used to phone me up and go, what's the <laughs> password again? And okay. you shouldn't know that as well. Once it's no. his. No, I know. This is the thing. So, yeah. So they, they need responsibility. Then. Now, this is the contentious bit. This is the bit that I have to change quite often in, in contracts. This is, this is a negotiation point mm. where I say, we, stuff and nonsense, we own the unique combination of all these elements that constitutes a complete design. So, you know, yeah, you might own a style sheet and the HTML and, you know, you might own the assets, the logos or the photos or something like that. You might own all those bits, but, you know, how it's put together to make this web page, we own that. That unique that unique combination of we call a design is ours um, and we license it to you exclusively so we're not going to sell it to somebody else um, forever in perpetuity, but for this project only. So if you run a caravan park and, you know, we design your website and then you set up a new caravan park, you can't take that site and just duplicate it and change the logo. Mm. Not allowed to do that. 
I've got something similar, but I don't say that like I'll license it to them. I say that they own everything, but, but they're not allowed to resell anything that I've done. Okay. Like any templates or anything. But is reselling the same as reusing for their own purposes? Not if it's for their own purposes. You don't mind them doing that? No, because it says. Okay. Now, see, that's that's where we would differ then. Because I would say that you can't use the same thing more than once unless, you know, unless you pay for it. What if they've got, like, if you design them a website and then they decide to kind of make an intranet that uses the same kind of combination of elements? A different thing, I'd say. Right. Now, they could probably take the elements, you know, they could take the logo, you know, they might even take bits of the style sheets or something like that. You know, it's, it's a fine line, isn't it? Um, but, you know, they just can't take the whole thing and make it into something else. Mm-hmm. And I suppose an intranet, you know, that's a little bit more difficult. But um, the main thing is to stop. This is, this is the reason why it's there, right? You know, you don't want somebody, you're not paying you, you know, 5,000, 10,000 pounds to, to make a design. And then them just keep using it repeatedly. Because if, you know, if, if you'd have known that they were going to keep doing that in the first place, you'd have probably priced it differently. <laughs> you'd have probably gone, that's 40 grand, not, you know, 50 grand, not, you know, not five grand. I don't know. I, I wouldn't want to restrict them like that. I mean, I've had clients who, back when I was doing design, I'd do a logo for them. And like a few months later, they'd grow their business and then suddenly the logo's on a van or something. And oh, no, I don't mind that. I mean, you, you I could, don't mind that at all. You could mind that because if you haven't designed it to go on a van or if you, you haven't kind of given them like a big enough version or that sort of thing, sometimes it can look a bit weird. So well, that's why, I give them the, that's why I give them the source files, um, you know, so that they don't have to, you know, come back to me. Yeah. But I think there's a difference between saying, you know, look, I don't care. We design you a logo and, you know, you can put it on your business cards or your van. I don't care. But what I do care about is if you've paid me to build, you know, a website for, you know, for one caravan park, then, you know, changing a few bits around and and, and making it into another one is, isn't right. It doesn't sit well. Mm. Because, you know, you should have been paying twice or we should have, you know, we should have negotiated at the beginning. I tell you, the reason why it's there, and you know, we're supposed to be talking about non-web stuff sometimes on this show as well, <laughs> right? But you know, Josh, who does my illustrations, he has clauses in his contract. We need to get Josh on the show. Um, like a lot to of get him to do an illustration for our site. Uh, thoughts crossed my mind actually a couple of times. Um, I'm planning the new header for the stuff site, which I'm hoping to talk to him about before I go on holiday. Anyway, clauses in illustrators' contracts and Kevin Cornell, who you know did the book cover as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the book cover was let's, you, let's talk about the book cover for Harboard. Um, we had a contract with Kevin Cornell for doing that brilliant hardboiled illustration, and that was only for the book cover. That was it. We couldn't use it for a single other thing. And when we wanted to do the poster. Mm. And we wanted to have, you know, two and a half thousand posters made to go as a promo. We had to renegotiate for that usage. I thought that was more just to protect him so that if you decided to make a poster on your own using that illustration, then it wouldn't look stupid or like he was getting 
credit for something awful. No, it's not about that. It's about the money. You know, imagine that he developed that character for the book cover hmm. and then we'd taken that, um, telling him that we'd only, you know, we were only going to use it for a book cover. And all of a sudden, you know, we turned it into T-shirts and made, you know, a million quid on T-shirts. Yeah, or I guess imagine, that makes sense. Imagine if Josh had um, done an illustration for my stuff header of let's say that you know the young mod character that i like to think is still me but isn't right <laughs> the one that's at the front at the moment imagine if i was to take him and turn him into in an, an animated cartoon like spongebob bloody Squarepants, <laughs> right now josh would obviously rightly get the hump with that because you know, he's, I've paid him a couple of thousand dollars to, to create an illustration. And all of a sudden I'm turning it into a damn TV series. Yeah. So that's where this stuff comes from. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. And you know, that's the thing, you know, you, they're hiring you to do a certain thing, not to create a series of templates necessarily that they can just keep using. So that's that. And then the last thing is uh i just put a little clause in there to say listen you know we, it's got to be okay that we can we can share this you know we can talk about it we want to put it on our portfolio we might write blog posts about it we might use the examples in a book um because the last thing i want is to have to go back to somebody down the line and go you know actually can i use your site as an example in an article on smashing magazine yeah you know i have something kind of like that uh, it's not as kind of you know I know. I, I just say, please make me aware if you don't want me to talk about it, rather than I'm going to do this. Yeah, I'd rather do things, you know, have have it in there by default, and yeah. then they can, you know, choose to opt out if they need to. And you know, if you sometimes, you know, I'm working on a few things now where I wouldn't, you know, they're, they're NDA or you know, it's not my design work. I'm doing something different, so you know, I'm not going to put those in my portfolio and claim that I design, you know, I did the design for some kind of crazy Scandinavian newspaper. I'm, you know, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. I think it's just important at the start to, to figure out what you can and can't talk about. And so there's no kind of nasty consequences. No, definitely. It's really important to put that in. Did you see, um, Sarah Parmenter tweeted about, um, so she's, she's saying that she's worked on three amazing, very large projects for household names in the last three years, um, pretty much exclusively. Uh, but she can't show a thing. She can't talk about them at all. And, and it, it can be a problem. I mean, you know, they might, they might be paying a lot of money for it, but now she can't, you know, it, she can't put it in her portfolio. She's saying it's like a, like a gap in a CV. Um, to the outside world it's like she's not doing any work yeah this is a big problem for a lot of people i know and i've never experienced it until the beginning of this year because you know last year and a bit of the year before i was working on i don't know three or four big jobs i mean i did the iso job um and then i started doing a lot of work with <clears throat> excuse me with stv up in glasgow mm. Now, obviously, I can't show work that never went live, you know, or stuff that they've still got in development. So that's a huge chunk of stuff that I did that that's you know not out there. Mm. And then I was working on that government project, um, which you know may or may not ever see the light of day. Yeah. And even if it does see the light of day, I can't really put it in my portfolio. So I I did like a year and a half of you know a lot of work, none of which can go in my portfolio. And I guess you can't talk about it at conferences or use no. it as case studies. No, not at all. So, 
the, and, and, I, and this came back to bite me. Do you remember, I think it was like in one of the early shows, you know, back in March, I think it might have been, where we talked about um, a few pitches that had gone badly. Hmm. And, you know, some of those were really nice jobs that I really wanted. But the guy was like, you know, can you show me some of your recent stuff? And I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. What have you been doing for two years? That's really difficult. I had with, um, you know, I love talking about style guides. Mm. Um, I did, I did a style guide for, um, quite a big organization and, um, I'm not allowed to show anyone and it's really cool and I want to show it. <laughs> yeah, I know it's, it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it is, it's a difficult one. So you mentioned last week that you, um, do you put a payment schedule within your contract or do you have that separate? Uh, it's at the end. Yeah. Right. So I basically have a little clause and, um, you know, I just basically say, you know, I'm sure that you're going to want to stay friends. And if that's going to happen, then you need to stick tightly to our little payment schedule. Mm. And then we just detail it out. And it might be, you know, you pay as, you pay as a deposit, you might pay as stage payments, you might pay weekly, whatever it is. You know, it does vary occasionally. Yeah. And we put that in as a, as a little kind of section on the site. In mine, I've got, um, how, uh, like what the payment terms are. So is it on receipt 14 days, 30 days? Um, and I put a little note saying, I'm sure you'll understand that as I'm working as a sole trader. I mean, this is kind of old now. Um, it's vital that the people I work for pay the invoices I send them by the due date on the invoice. And I also stipulate what currency, um, and, by I also I also say by backs, which is like bank transfer, because uh, you don't want people sending you a check or trying to pay you in cash, because that you know obviously that generates bank fees. Um, so yeah, it's important to to mention that. Do you have clients who pay you in check? Uh, yeah, we still have farmers, tractor dealers who send us checks, as they did this morning. Um, so yeah, we still do get checks occasionally, but yeah. I tell you what, I just do want to pick up on, and I'm going to have to dig back through our email. Um, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this more, you know, over the next few weeks, but international clients and how we handle things like contracts internationally. Mm. Um, that's one thing. The other thing is, uh, actual getting paid because, you know, if you're working for clients around the world, you need to make sure that if you've quoted them a thousand pounds, that they pay a thousand pounds. Yeah. Not whatever the thing is. And sometimes they go, Oh, well, can you, know, can you charge us in dollars? Um, well, actually, no, you know, you pay us what a thousand pounds is in whatever your currency is. Yeah. Um, because what, what's, what's had to happen to us and a, and a few times, and I'm sure this is not the right way of doing it is that, you know, we quote a thousand pounds. Um, We'll invoice the client, but we'll, we won't invoice it through the system. We won't invoice it through, you know, our account system. We'll just send them a kind of a, a third party out of the system invoice. They'll pay us whatever the equivalent is. And by the time we've got fees and, you know. Yeah, because uh, banks do charge a fee for international yeah, payments. All of that. By the time we take the fees out, it might be, you know, 980. Yeah. Well, to kind of just make our accounting simple, at that point we'll put the invoice on the system for nine hundred and eighty and we yeah. lose twenty quid. Yeah. So we need to get a little bit tighter at this because, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if we quote a thousand, we want a thousand. Yeah. I it's really difficult to sort that one out. I 
one way I've got around it is by saying, no, you, you pay me in pounds. Um, and the client was actually able to do that. It wasn't, it wasn't a problem at all. Um, but yeah, that can be a problem if you're taking regular payment, um, in that way. Uh, another way around it, if you can't, you know, negotiate something like that is to just charge a bit extra than you normally would to account for that, that kind of loss. And yeah, I know, you know, bank fees are just a expense, you know, they're just a business expense, the same as everything else. But they do um, cut into your take home. Exactly. And, you know, that's, it can be galling, you know, when you just, you know, I don't know what the hell they do with it. You know, it's just, yeah. <laughs> lose the money. And then I suppose the next bit really, just to kind of wrap things up a little bit, is uh, we have to put something in here about liabilities mm. because, you know, things will go wrong and we need to make sure that we're covered um, in lots of different ways. So I've got this very little simple clause in here about what happens when things go wrong. I say we just can't guarantee that the work is going to be error-free. Yeah. So we can't be liable to you or any third party for damages, including lost profits, savings, inconsequential, consequential, whatever the tail type of loss or special damages, even if you tell us about them, right? Because, you know, if there's a, if there's a bug in a piece of code that we write, I mean, okay, what the hell, what problem can there be in a bit of JavaScript or CSS, to be honest? Mm. It's not weird because we don't build whole websites anymore. Um, but even if we did, um, we don't, we, we don't want to be responsible if, you know, somebody can't make a payment or somebody can't buy an item. Don't, you know, I don't want them coming back and saying, Oh, we've lost 10,000 pounds worth of business today. Yeah. You know, you need to, you need to, to pay us for that. So that's one of the things that you've got to write in. You've got to make sure, um, that you make it clear that, you know, there's going to be errors. Yeah. And you're not responsible. I had a little thing in there saying that, um, just let me know within a two week period of, of um of paying the final bill and i'll i'll fix any kind of changes like that but i won't add new features yeah no that's that's very fair i wouldn't be specific about the two weeks to be honest because if somebody comes up with a bug in a month's time or six months time you know if it's a bug in a bit of css that we wrote i don't see any harm in fixing it i'm not going to charge them at that point i don't see any difference between you know two weeks and two months oh yeah i mean i'd, I'd probably still do that you know if it's just a little bug and, you know, if it's not in the contract, I think it's kind of a nice extra. You, mm. you, you're not kind of, you're exceeding their expectations. This is the bit that I want more advice on in terms of, you know, getting lawyered up. You know, I'd like a little bit more, um, detail perhaps in that section or just to feel maybe a little bit more confident that it was, you know, bulletproof. Mm. Um, so if there's any area that I really want to improve on it, it's this. And then you get to the bit at the end, basically, you know, you get into the legal stuff, you get into the, just like a parking ticket, you can't transfer this contract to anyone else. Uh, the contract stays in place and need not be renewed. There's a few things missing, I'm sure, out of here. Um, and if for some reason one bit of the contract stops being valid, then the rest of it still stays in place. Right. So, you know, if the, you know, privacy bit or the bug bit, you know, goes out of the window, everything else doesn't go out the window with it. And then I say, okay, you know, the language is simple, but the intentions are serious. And this is a legal document under the jurisdiction of, you know, courts of England and Wales in, in our case. Mm. And don't forget the men with big dogs, <laughs> which is that jokey thing. You know, we've gone through a whole passage of, you know, quite serious stuff. And I just want to bring it back to the humor again, mm. right before I want them to sign it. I want them to smile at that point 
and then they sign it, <laughs> which is why I kind of put that stuff in at the end. Um, and yeah, there's loads of stuff that, that I suppose, you know, we could put into it. Uh, Zoe Rooney, we talked about her earlier. Mm-hmm. She adds a little detail in there about the fact that she'll put a credit on all the sites that she codes, like in the footer. And the client has to keep it in there unless they pay her to take it out. Mm, I feel funny about that. I, I don't think I'd do that. But it's, it's, you know, it's funny how people do things differently. Yeah. I think if you're going to go ahead and do that, fine. But oh, I just think credit lines, you know. Mm. What, credit lines in general? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's something you do if you're if you're starting out. You're trying to, you know, I have heard of a lot of people who've who've kind of clicked on those and found a really good design of someone. Yeah, they they want to know who made it basically. Um, but oh, I'd feel funny about putting that on the client. Yeah, that's their that's their website. It's kind of your name doesn't really belong there. It's not it's not a work of art. No, I mean we've done it and we've not done it. Yeah, you know, depending on how I feel that day, I suppose. Um, we should talk about this on another show. Yeah, yeah. I think they have a place, but, um, yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> so there's a few things that our contract killer doesn't include, but probably should. Mm-hmm. Um, especially after watching Mike Montero's F You Pay Me yeah. again. Um, termination. Uh-huh. And the reasons for, uh, for it terminating the contract and termination fees as well. Yeah. What, what are you going to charge if they decide for whatever reason that, that they're not going to go ahead with the project? Yeah. Um, I think that that's something that the contract killer definitely needs to include. Um, and I guess happen- also, yeah, what happens if they don't pay? Like if what happens if the client doesn't pay? Um, how much you, can you charge interest and, can you charge your sort of lawyer fees for chasing up that payment? Yeah. Now that's something that Mike's very clear of. Yeah. Um, is making sure that, you know, if you're chasing 50 grand, it doesn't cost you 20 grand out of that 50 to get your money. Yeah. You know, the client needs to be aware that they're responsible for those fees. Um, if you end up having to sue them. Definitely. And that's not something that, that I've ever thought about putting in the contract. And I think I need to have that one revised. I've thought actually. about it a lot. Um, but I've just not known the right way to word it. Ah, well, there you go. There's a challenge for me. <laughs> yeah, I'd, no, I'd want to get a lawyer to check it over because I don't know. I think there is a restriction on how much you can charge for late payment. So that's why I put the base rate of interest because I know you can charge that, but I don't know how much on top of that you can charge. No, no, I've got no idea. So, yeah, there's a few things. I know this contract killer isn't, you know, the cure-all. It's not going to do everybody for every situation, just right out of the box. But it's not really intended for that. It's just intended as a kind of a conversation and just making sure that, you know, you're going to get paid at the end. So I suppose we need to wrap it up, don't we? Yeah. Oh, it's going to be a while until you're back. I'm away for the next three weeks. So I think you've got three shows without me. Well, you'll be all right. You just talk about ice cream with somebody else for a bit. <laughs> so you can email me at he has at unfinished.bz and Anna, she has at unfinished.bz. Or you can email both of us 
at theyhave at unfinished.bz. All the links we mentioned in this episode are in our show notes. You can find them at unfinished.bz slash 30. That's three zero. To ask us questions and suggest topics, message us on Twitter at unfinishedbz. Thanks again to our sponsor this week, Ghost Lab. Synchronized cross-browser and mobile testing taken to the next level. Go to vanamco.com slash ghostlab and use the offer code unfinishedbusiness to get 30% off at the checkout. Let them know that you heard about them on this show. See you in three weeks, Chuck. See you. Au revoir. Au revoir. Should I clap? Yep. One, two, three. three. Oh, sorry. That was miles away. Yeah. One, One two, two, three. <laughs> that was miles away as well. No, it sounded perfect. No, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> One, two, oh, again. three. Oh, God. Spot on. No! <laughs> it sounds good to me. Mm. Oh. Nobody cares about this stuff. I'll work it out. <laughs> right, your turn. <clears throat> oh. <clears throat> Have some tea. <laughs> that was what? a good slurp. I'm not trying to put you off or anything.